Hello, this is Dr. Pam Johnson. Today I will be lecturing on CT evaluation of the aorta, pre- and post-operative imaging. To give you some historical perspective, here's a quote from a paper published in 1976 back in the early days of CT, where Axelbaum said, only a two centimeter length of this structure is included in a scan resulting from a full five minute exposure. Well, certainly we have come a long way since then with our 64 slice scanner that can image the entire chest in 26 seconds. And our newer scanners with 128 sections that can image in se seven seconds and using the flash mode in less than one second, the entire thorax can be imaged, 26 centimeter length in under a second. With the increase in speed, we have to optimize our protocol design because of the very narrow window of data collection. This enables us to use lower volumes of contrast, but we are required to use faster infusion rates, and therefore we have to very carefully couple contrast infusion and data acquisition. This is a nice schematic in a paper published by Foley that shows the different specific timing used after contrast infusion, the early arterial phase, late arterial phase, and the venous phase. The uh, arrow is showing the early arterial phase, which is on average at about 25 seconds after the initiation of contrast infusion. This can be timed with a fixed timing or using a test bolus technique, which is especially important when you're imaging the coronary arteries. And additionally, uh, as a lot of centers do, you can use bolus tracking, placing the region of interest in the descending thoracic aorta. Depending on the scanner, the trigger time can be at 230 Hounsfield units with a 64 slice scanner. With even faster scanners, you want to trigger later because you can perform the acquisition in a shorter period of time and capture the peak enhancement. So using the 128 slice scanner, we would trigger at 250 Hounsfield units. Our contrast aorta CTA protocol includes uh, infusion of 80 to 120 mLs of contrast at 4 to 5 cc's a second. You can administer a saline tracer, chaser, typically 20 to 50 mLs. And the advantage of a saline chaser is maximum, maximizing use of the contrast bolus by flushing contrast from the upper extremity veins into the circulation. In addition, the saline chaser minimizes the beam hardening artifact from dense contrast in the superior vena cava. So I'll show you an example. Here's a patient that was imaged without a saline chaser. You can see the dense contrast in the superior vena cava causing streak artifact across the ascending aorta and the right pulmonary artery, both on the axial and the coronal image. Here's a patient that was administered a saline chaser. So there's mixing of contrast and saline in the superior vena cava, and we have eliminated the streak artifact, and uh, get a very nice view of the aorta. So aorta protocol design is a little bit more complicated than imaging other regions because we need to maximize contrast resolution, spatial resolution, and temporal resolution. 
and we need to minimize motion artifact from the beating heart and streak artifact. So we've discussed the contrast protocol and we've discussed how we minimize streak artifact. Let's move on to spatial resolution. We use our narrowest detectors, depending on the scanner that you have. You use the submillimeter detectors to acquire the data. And you reconstruct slightly thicker slices at 0.75, for example, with a 0.6 millimeter detector for 2D, 3D reconstructions. And we would perform 3 by 3 millimeter for axial review. Overlapping reconstructions uh, enables a, a slight improvement in resolution. You and you it's something that uh, we do for our narrow reconstructed volume. The third component of resolution, temporal resolution, um, in a lot of ways this has been solved by the speed of the current scanners, but we still have the issue of motion artifact from the heart. So the parameters that we adjust are the acquisition speed and we use gating. As I showed you earlier, the respiratory motion artifact is no longer an issue because of these fast scan times. However, when you're imaging the ascending thoracic aorta, especially in the setting of a suspected dissection, it's very important to use gating, either retrospective or prospective gating, so that you minimize potential artifact from cardiac motion. Another advantage of this is that gating will enable coronary artery and aortic valve evaluation. So here's an example to show you the importance of gating. This is the same patient. The first study is on the left, the ungated study. Patient with chest pain, we see a linear density in the ascending aorta concerning for an intimal dissection flap. Um, I'll show you all three images to start with. It was, it was identified on multiple sections and multiple reconstructions on the ungated study, and it was very difficult to be absolutely certain that this was motion due to motion artifact. So the patient was imaged the next day with a gated acquisition, and you can see that the aorta is completely normal on all reconstructions. So you do not want to find yourself in the situation where you are confused by whether you're looking at motion artifact or a dissection. If there's a concern for ascending aortic dissection, you have to gate the patient. As I mentioned, another advantage of gating is that you can perform a coronary artery uh, evaluation, and many of these patients are going to undergo surgery, so subsequent, um, so concomitant evaluation of the coronary arteries is very helpful, provides information for the surgeon. And a lot of the uh, processes that affect the aorta, atherosclerotic disease, will also affect the coronary arteries. So let's move on to the aortic valve. Uh, one of the additional advantages of our high temporal resolution is that we can perform functional imaging of the aortic valve. And the normal aortic valve has three semilunar cusps. During diastole, the valve close, closes which is called coaption, or central meeting of the valve cusps. During systole, the leaflets retract to create a triangular opening, which is the aortic valve area. Nice images of a normal aortic valve with the valve closed on the left and the valve open, showing the triangular area on the right.
the diseased aortic valve, most commonly due to calcific degeneration. Other processes can cause disease of the aortic valve, such as myxomatous degeneration or fibrosis due to neovascularization in a patient with rheumatic heart disease and infection. On, on the top images, I show you the normal aortic valve again, and for comparison, on the lower set of images, we can see the diseased aortic valve that is unable to open completely uh, to create that nice triangular aortic valve area. We can see calcification and nodularity along the edge of the valve cusp. So as the valve becomes more diseased, valve dysfunction develops in terms of inability of the valve to completely open and inability of the valve to completely close. We can also image patients following valve replacement. Um, again, using a gated acquisition, we can create these different temporal images to show the valve open and close. So let's just discuss gating in a little bit more detail, retrospective gating and prospective gating. Retrospective gating, um, this is a nice image from a paper published in radiology to show that with retrospective gating we obtain a continuous long acquisition over multiple cardiac cycles. Um, the tube current is maximized during the most important portion of the cardiac cycle and minimized during the remainder of the RR interval. With prospective EKG gating the tube is only applied at the most important portion of the RR interval during the cardiac cycle. So as you can see, prospective gating uses a much lower dose. And as this paper showed, the dose is substantially lower when prospective gating is used. However, not all scanners are capable of prospective gating. So um, we often use retrospective gating. And I'd like to go over a couple gating pitfalls that are very important to recognize and avoid. And these really pertain to the patient's heart rate and making certain that you've monitored the heart rate over an adequate period of time because the heart rate is going to dictate both the pitch and the pulsing window. And if the patient's heart rate changes from the time that you've set these parameters, you can um, end up with a volume with a lot of artifact and without excellent image quality. So starting with the pitch, the pitch is a calculated according to the baseline heart rate. If the patient's heart rate changes substantially from baseline, this results in application of an incorrect pitch. Similarly, applying the ECG pulsing window, this is where how the dose is modulated. You want the lower dose during the non-critical segment of the RR interval. If the heart rate changes, you will end up uh, applying the pulsing window at the wrong portion of the RR cycle, and you will end up with reduced image quality. So very important that you monitor the heart rate over a, a long enough period of time to observe for any changes in heart rate. Um, particularly during inspiration, and this is one advantage of a test bolus because one, one thing that can modify the heart rate is the contrast administration. Pro, uh, using a test bolus enables you to evaluate whether the patient's heart rate is going to change after contrast is infused. And um, it's an, one of the additional advantages to using this type of timing. 
So in summary for CTA of the aorta, we use a gated study if we're concerned about ascending thoracic aortic disease and also if there's any question of coronary artery disease. We need a well-timed arterial acquisition using the narrowest detectors and reconstruction sections, cover from the aortic arch to the femoral arteries, and use 2D and 3D reconstructions. These are essential for aortic imaging. Our multiplanar post-processing involves both 2D reconstructions, maximum intensity projection, and 3D volume rendering routinely. This is essential to evaluate the aorta and the branches many of which are better visualized in planes other than the axial plane. So our indications for aortic imaging include aneurysm for both diagnosis and preoperative planning, evaluation of a range of other aortic pathology, and postoperative imaging following surgery or endoluminal stent placement. In addition, we have a few specialized aortic protocols, including acute chest pain, in the setting of suspected dissection and following endoluminal stent placement. For acute chest pain, if there's any concern that the patient could have an intramural hematoma, you must perform a pre-contrast acquisition. This is when the hematoma is most conspicuous and it's important to gate the study if there's any concern for dissection as we discussed. Here's a nice example of an intramural hematoma it's not as conspicuous after contrast is administered that this is actually high attenuation within the wall of the aorta, but on the pre-contrast scan we can see very clearly that this is hemorrhage into the wall of the aorta. It's denser than the blood in the aorta, and there shows the importance of the pre-contrast study. Another example of a patient with an intramural hematoma in the ascending aorta, you can see it is a high-density crescent on the pre-contrast study on the left. Whereas after contrast is administered, it is not as easy a diagnosis to make. With respect to intramural hematoma management, it varies according to the location. Many advocate surgery if uh, the ascending aorta is involved or timely surgery. And this was a recent paper discussing the important parameters to evaluate when you're looking at intramural hematoma. And the authors emphasized either thickness of the hematoma between up to 10 more than 10 millimeters or 16 millimeters or the aortic diameter measuring 50 millimeters or 55 millimeters these are cutoffs to identify patients who are going to have to be watched carefully and either undergo surgery or timely surgery as they called it with careful watching our protocol post aortic stent placement involves pre-contrast arterial and venous phase acquisitions. The importance of the pre-contrast study is to identify calcification or surgical material. The arterial phase is used for measurements, endoleak, and to evaluate the arterial branches. And the venous phase is also used to identify endoleaks. So here is an example of the pre-contrast, the importance of the pre-contrast acquisition showing high attenuation that's due to calcification as opposed to an endoleak. And this enables you to distinguish the findings on the arterial phase acquisition as representing calcification rather than contrast. The importance of a multiphasic acquisition has been shown in several studies in the literature in order to detect endoleaks because some endoleaks will be more conspicuous on the arterial acquisition 
whereas a small percentage may be more conspicuous on the delayed acquisition as shown in this case. Uh, we can see the underleak adjacent to the aortic arch. Okay, I think that we will stop here, and when I return, we'll take a little break. When I return, I will review a range of aortic pathology and their appearance on CT. Thank you. <laughs>